On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to look at some, well, some questions that people want to pose to the Church of Christ, some complaints they have. Yeah, we're going to look at an Internet article. Apparently, it's been out there for a while, but a listener, Ethan, sent me the link to an article called Bible Questions for the Church of Christ. We want to offer answers to those questions that are being asked, and so we're going to sort of analyze some of that tonight in our Bible study. Ah, it's going to be a good discussion. We're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday february 4th 2021 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwen my father great gwen is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight kyle's here welcome kyle it's good to be glad to be with you and uh, glad that you're listening uh on the other end of the line tonight we would particip- uh, appreciate your participation at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, or in the chat room tonight. Sign in with other listeners in the chat room as they file in. Share your comments with listeners around the world. We'd love to hear from you on the program tonight. We've got several in the chat room. I see Lou in Minnesota. He's bound to be dealing with some harsh winter weather. I see Dwight, Michelle, and Iowa. I know they've been under blizzard conditions <clears throat> more recently. Uh, Brian, Brian, California Brian's California. He, he, he may be doing good in California. Yeah. Brian's in California. But we, we appreciate all of our listeners uh, and look forward to your participation in our study tonight. All right. Um, well, interesting uh, interesting uh, yeah. quibbles as, here. As, as I said, uh, uh, a, a listener, Ethan, uh, wrote to... Uh, Ask, but he was actually asking for a bumper sticker, and so we got one off in the mail to him. But he, he provided the link to this article. He says he thinks it's been out there for a while. I had not seen it. I have not seen anybody reference it before. Uh, and so uh, to our update list today, all I didn't ask any questions. I just sent out the link to that article on the website. If you didn't get our update, the link is... Now this, I'm just going to say it the way it's written, Faith Facts, one word, faithfacts.org. And then I think you can search that website. It's under World Religions and Theology slash Church of Christ. And you can probably get to the article that way. Uh, It's a very long article. I printed the whole thing out. It took 35 pages to print Mm. the whole thing out. I had to go probably going to run out of paper, buy extra reams of paper to print it out. Uh, There's no way we could deal with all of the article in this one program. We may deal with some aspects of it later on because he deals with things like our view of instrumental music, which he thinks is wrong, Uh, our view of baptism, which he thinks is wrong. Uh, he, he completely misstates our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we, we may get to some of that in future programs. But tonight I just thought we would deal with the introductory part of this long, long article in which he provides his understanding, a doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ. What we're going to find out is this guy doesn't hardly know anything about the Church of Christ because he completely misrepresents us doesn't have any good understanding of what we really believe or practice. Uh, and so we want to, we want to just kind of work our way through this, uh, two, there's two pages here, and a number of paragraphs, every one of them contains error. Uh, and, and we just want to address that. What I hope, Jacob, is that our listeners understand we are not adverse to dealing with challenges to our faith. And to, if people question what we believe, what we practice, what we teach, Please bring it on. We'll be glad to to share with you our understanding. If we're wrong, we'll be corrected. If we, uh, but we'll, we'll go to the Bible to find the answer. So we are not intimidated when someone asks questions or challenges our position. We want that. We 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 invite that, uh, and that's what we're going to do tonight. All right. Uh, look forward to uh, hearing from you if you as we go along. Sign in the chat room and uh, send your comments in. Uh, lots of things to talk about here. So this is just this introduction is really long, and and I hope we'll have time to get through it all tonight. But we're just going to sort of take it paragraph by paragraph and and deal what, with with what this fellow. I don't even know this man's name. 
who wrote this article. I, the website again is Faith Facts. One word, faithfacts.org. Uh, he starts out, now again, this is his doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ. He starts out simply by saying they believe their group has restored the New Testament Church, the ancient order. All other groups are in error, lost, and apostate. I, I, I would offer a correction to that. We are attempting, our goal is to be a church like the church that you read about in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, ha- have we succeeded perfectly in doing that? Well, again, you could challenge us on various points. We'll try to answer. But our, our, our goal is to be a church like the church that you read about in the pages of the New Testament. We believe that if we did that, if we did just what the New Testament Christians did when they were operating under the guidance of the inspired apostles, if we were just like them, we'd be right, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be right? Uh, and, and so that's what we're trying to do. Now, to the extent that people are not following, as he refers to the ancient order, to the extent that people and churches today are not attempting to be like that first century church, then that is error. And and and, uh, and it could cause, and I believe will ultimately cause people to be lost. And that's why we think that's such an urgent matter. All right. Um, it's either, well, okay, either we do it like the New Testament said to do it, or like they did in the first century, or we can do it any way that we please. There's no middle ground. You can't say, oh, well, they didn't do that in the New Testament, but it's okay to do this. There is no middle ground. Either you do it any way you please, or you do it exactly like they did in the New Testament. There, that's the way it has to be, and, and you can't be logical or consistent. So you say, well, uh, we want to bring in the flying trapeze. Well, they didn't do that in the first century church. Well, but that's that's what we want. Well, wh- how are you going to say that's wrong? If you don't say you've got to do it like they did in the New Testament, uh, Jim in the in Kentucky said, while certainly this is the goal that we restore New Testament Christianity, uh, I do not know if one could say it has been restored, but it, it, that it is being restored. Restoration is an ongoing process. Any who are not seeking to follow Christ according to His divine or doctrine truly cannot be His, and thus are lost. And so. Uh, Jim says we're trying to do that, That's, and there's nothing wrong. The, 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 the author seems to uh, deride the, and yeah, belittle the way that, that idea. The way that's worded, it's almost like that would be a terrible endeavor. That would be a bad thing to restore the New Testament church. Uh, he doesn't explain why, but uh, we think it's a noble thing. Uh, again, we're not claiming that we have perfected the restoration, but we know that that's the ideal, and that's the goal we're striving for. Like the Bible, like it is in the Bible. Uh, the author of this material, Kent in uh, Georgia, says the author of this material certainly has no biblical understanding regarding the concept of the New Testament church or the teaching of the scriptures regarding cr- crucial topics. Yeah, I think we're going to see that he really misses it and and, and badly misrepresents what we believe. I, you know, I, I don't mind when people address what we truly believe and again if you could show that it's wrong we'd we'd invite that but to misrepresent us to sort of build straw men and then tear them down is not a a useful enterprise all right uh i got a just a sort of a general observation from mark after he read this article he said wow just wow i've been to quite a few churches of christ in several different states over my 32 years of belief and I can honestly say that I have not heard or seen the description of God's church as this website depicts churches of Christ. If they do exist, then they should certainly be called out for their misuse and non-use of the Bible. I'm very disappointed in the writers of this website for their lack of integrity. I hope they will correct their sinfulness before they stand in judgment for their dishonesty. I look forward to listening tonight. Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for that. And I do think it's a bad misrepresentation. I, I'm not going to impugn their motives to say that they did it intentionally, but you ought to know what you're talking about before you're going to publish something. And these guys, whoever this is, and again, they didn't offer a name, but whoever wrote this uh, didn't know what they were talking about. All right. Let's move on to the next paragraph. The next paragraph says they reject denominationalism and believe that they themselves are not a denomination. This is an unquestioned orthodoxy, and they are careful not to use the term other denominations as that would include themselves in the denominational world. Okay, we believe that denominationalism is wrong. 
Uh, this, this author apparently thinks it's a good thing because yeah. he said he's he's belittling those who would reject denominationalism. The reason the reason why we think denominationalism is wrong is because, first of all, it's it's a denial of the prayer that Jesus prayed in his in his last hours. In John 17, verse 20, neither, I, neither pray I for these, and he's talking about the apostles, neither pray I for these apostles alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That would include us, right? That they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So Jesus' sort of dying wish his 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 prayer in his final hours on earth was that all who followed him would be united, be one. Not a unity in diversity, not denomination after denomination after denomination, but that we would be united like he and the Father are united. How are he and the Father united? Perfectly. No discrepancies, no disagreements, complete unity. And that's the unity that Jesus wants for his followers. But somehow or another, it has been decided in in our modern religious world that everything's okay. Everybody can believe their own thing, do their own thing, don't agree about anything, have thousands of denominations, and yet that's okay. I, I don't. I don't. That's why we oppose denominationalism. It, it, it is contrary to the wish and will of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was what was going on in Corinth in First Corinthians chapter one. Paul addressed that, and uh, he he belittles them. Notice they were even calling themselves after different names. And, and, and he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11, It has been declared unto me, you, my, of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of, of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Or Paul, was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? They were even calling themselves by different names. And yeah. is that not going on in the religious world today? Well, I'm of Martin Luther. I'm of Wesley. I'm of uh, maybe Charles Spurgeon. Uh, lots of people dividing up. And uh, Paul says you ought to be one. You ought to be united. And so, yes, let, we let, do let, me, let, me back you, let me back you up just one more verse there in First Corinthians 1, verse 10. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, you ask yourself, do the Methodists speak the same thing as the Presbyterians? Well, everybody says, no, of course not. They've got different creeds. They do different things. Well, that's not following the instruction of Paul there in First Corinthians. Well, but maybe this author says, well, you know, they, they had this idea of restoring the New Testament church. Well, we just throw all that out the window. We don't have to worry about what Paul said. No, Paul said that we need to be united, and that's what we're trying to do. And the yeah. only way we'll be united is if we'll agree to the same standard, the same rule book. I always, I, I always envision when I hear the the term denominationalism, I, I I revert way back to grade school where we studied fractions. The part of the fraction that was on top was the numerator. The part of the fraction that was on the bottom was the denominator. And the fraction, if it's if the fraction is three over four, then the four divides the three it's three divided by four a denomination is a division by definition it's what the word means and yet we are being challenged because we oppose that why wouldn't everybody oppose that denominationalism is anti-biblical all right and even within the denominations they've got you've got within the denominations the denominations are divided with different synods or different conventions and and even the, within the denominations, they don't speak the same thing. The Bible tells us we must speak the same thing, and that means we're going to have to speak from the same standard, the and, Bible. And that's why we do not identify ourselves as a denomination. We don't want to be just one denomination among thousand denomination, thousands of denominations. We want to be like the one true church that you read about in the pages of the New Testament. That's the idea of restoring the New Testament church. That's what we're trying to do. Again, we're not claiming that we've perfectly accomplished that, but it's our goal. And in conjunction with that goal, we understand that if we're going to be like the church in the New Testament, we cannot allow and tolerate or even condone and endorse division. All right. Uh, and as a follow-up paragraph, he says, they often deny that that there are true Christians in the denominational world. Uh well, if we were all true Christians, we'd all be doing the same thing. 
right? And we'd be united. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we could highlight some of the doctrinal issues in various denominations, but the fact of the matter is, true Christians will want to be a part of the true church that you read about in the pages of the New Testament. And this guy rejects the idea that, even in his definition of terms, that there are true Christians in all denominations. He would not say there are true Christians in the Mormon church, perhaps, likely. He'd likely say there aren't true Christians in uh, maybe the Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever it may be. The, everyone draws the line. We draw the line where the Bible draws the line. Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. If Jesus is the Lord and is the ruler of our life, as the term Christian means, we'll be doing what he said. And if we're not doing what he said, we're not what we need to be. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, real quickly, before we get a break, let's look at our emailers. Uh, Kent says... I am not a member of any faction, splinter group, or denomination. I am not even a member of what is commonly referred to as the Restoration Movement. I agree that the New Testament church needs to be restored in the lives of individuals, and I am all for such a restoration. However, the movement to restore New Testament Christianity has no official membership. Such is a movement of individuals, not an official group having an official membership. All right. Uh, here's what uh, Jim says. Uh, the idea is that we reject denominationalism is correct, he says. How can one deny I will build my church in Matthew 16, verse 18? Jesus did not say churches, as in denominations, uh, uh, or as denominations understand it, but church, singular. There's one body and one head, not one head and many bodies, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. I think that's right. And uh, to the idea that there are Christians in the denominational world, he says if there were true Christians in the denominational world, then it must be admitted that any way is a valid way to Christ. Would the author or authors of this article say that those who believe in infant baptism, the Catholics, are Christians just like the Baptists who are immersed as adults after they confess that they are already saved? Would they admit that those who reject the resurrection of Christ are Christians just like those who believe it by faith? It is a straw man argument. To say that all are right means that no one is right. If you ask a Catholic if their church is the one true church, they will say yes. At least that was what I was taught as a boy in the Catholic church, that we belonged to the one true apostolic church, which is what we prayed. So, so he's saying that the Catholics make that same claim. That uh, Obviously, we can't all be right about that, but the Catholics understand that there's just one true universal church. Uh, that's interesting. Jim comes from that Catholic background. James in Florida says one of the main problems that the religious world does not understand that the universal body is not the aggregate of the local church. The church is those individuals whose names are registered by Jesus in heaven. Thank right. you, James. For I think coming. exactly right. All right. We're overdue for a break. All right. Let's grab a break. And we've got to keep hurrying on to get through all of this material. We'll be right back after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jeremiah 17.10. Remember, there's nothing hidden from the eyes of God. He searches our hearts and test our minds. What will he see today? Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It's not too hard to make decisions when you're fully committed to what your values and priorities are. Do what's right, even if no one's looking. That's called integrity. There are no idle rumors. All rumors are busy and destructive. A man who says it's nobody's business what he does is both foolish and selfish. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program, looking at Bible questions for the Church of Christ. Uh, the author has uh, put together some uh, some grievances with uh, what we believe in the way yeah, that we this practice. Is, this is on a website, faithfacts.org, uh, under, let's see, it's under World Religions and Theology slash Church of Christ, if you want to look at the article, if you didn't get the link in the email today. Uh, we think he's missed it and misrepresented us, and so we're just we're offering the answers to his questions and not, not ashamed to do so. 
Paragraph number four says they put a very high emphasis on wearing the right name, which means that any group that does not call itself the Church of Christ cannot be a part of the true church. The word church in Church of Christ, however, is uh, often has a lowercase c, implying that they themselves are the church universal. I don't know. I don't even know what he means by that last expression. I'm not even going to try to address that. <clears throat> but here's a, here's a classic misrepresentation. We do not say that any group that does not call itself the Church of Christ cannot be a part of the true church because we understand that there are a number of descriptives of the church in the pages of the New Testament. It's called the Church of God. It's called the Church of the Firstborn uh, and so forth. There's there's a whole list of, of other names that are used, and if those names are scriptural names. We wouldn't We wouldn't object to the use of those names whatsoever we're not insistent upon we believe actually that the, the 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 expression church of christ rather than being a name is actually a descriptive it's 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 explaining what it is it's the church that belongs to jesus it's not a denominational name and that's why we don't uh, we sometimes write with a capital c but we often write it with a lowercase c because it is a descriptive uh de- demarcation of what this church is the church that belongs to Christ. Romans 16, verse 16, uh, uses the term churches of Christ, and it's used in a descriptive term. It's not a denominational term like, you know, the, the Baptist churches or uh, the church of uh, whatever. This is a descriptive that it d- defines that this is a church that belongs to Christ. It is also a church of God. It's a church of the firstborn, as you mentioned, uh, and lots of different ways that the church could be de- described, but this is just one that we use. Yeah, Mohan in Chicago is on that same wavelength as we are. He says, they are in error since those in the church believe that there are synonyms found in the Bible to churches of Christ, such as kingdom of God, church of the firstborn, the Lord's church, and so forth. And so this is just a classic misrepresentation. I think Mohan's right about but that. But it does fit, fit back into our uh, understanding that we need to be like they are, were in the Bible. They didn't wear titles. They didn't wear, this is Paul's church. This is Apollos' church. Uh, this is Christ's church. Yeah, well, well, yeah. And, and we do insist that the church be described in a scriptural way. It's not the Baptist church. There's no there, there's no place in the scriptures where we read about it's not the Lutheran church. We don't read about that. If 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 I'm going to try to go back to the New Testament and try to be like the church was in the New Testament, I know they didn't call themselves the Presbyterian church. Right. You know, uh, so, again, we're just saying if we're going to go back to the Bible, we're going to a very simple thing would be to use a Bible descriptive for the church. How were they called out? How were they described in the New Testament? Well, Church of Christ is one way. Church of God's another. Whatever. It has to be something that we read about in the New Testament. Yeah. Jim in Kentucky says, I believe we see the value in wearing the name Church of Christ as it identifies us. But he says, I believe their argument is that it doesn't matter what the church is called. And if that's the case, would the author then admit that calling oneself a disciple of Satan means nothing? If we are the bride of the Christ, the bride wears the groom's name. To suggest that any name is valid is another false argument. If so, will the Baptists reject their name and call themselves Methodists? You know, that'd be a, that'd be a pretty good question. If the names don't matter, and we've got a Baptist church here, but we're just going to ask them if they'll please paint over the word Baptist and put Methodist there. No, they'd say, no. The name matters to them. James in Florida says there are also other ways to translate ecclesia, the word that we translate church, or, or and, and Christos, the Christ. The assemblies of the Messiah would be just as scriptural, James yeah. says. Yeah, okay. exactly right. Uh, Jim, one other thing Jim mentions later in the article, the author refers to the fact that in the beginning of this movement, they use names like Christian church or disciples of Christ and reject those names now, but does not mention why, suggesting that we simply focused on a name and rejected all others. He ignores the history of why those names were rejected with respect to dealing with the errors that were being promoted by those who also advocated the use of those names and how those names thus identified them as being different. All right. All right. Uh, And I'm I'm not sure where this statement from Kent fits in, but we'll we'll read it here. Uh, Kent in Georgia says, I am by my obedience to the gospel of Christ a New Testament Christian. In being such, I was baptized into the one scriptural body of Christ, which is the universal extension of the New Testament church. 
Insofar as my collective function as a Christian, I'm identified with the Northside Church of Christ in Calhoun, Georgia. This group of Christians is a local, independent, autonomous assembly following the authority of the New Testament in organization, identity, worship, and work. We have no organizational connection or affiliation with any other local assembly of Christians, even though they may be faithfully following Christ. And so Kent is, is stressing the idea of the local, independent, autonomous congregations and that, and that's certainly an important distinction that's right that's right and, and that gets back to this idea of not being part of a denomination and so each individual congregation is autonomous and is responsible to submitting to the authority of god's word all right let's quickly get to the next paragraph he says they shun the use of historic creeds and confessions of christendom and believe that they have no creed themselves relying only on the bible their views however are in print in journals and numerous tracts and they are famous for the creed-like formula, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Well, it is true. We believe that we follow only the Bible. We do not have any authoritative creeds. Now, have, 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 we, have we taken time to write articles, to, to publish tracts? Uh, yeah, I mean, but in doing that, we, we are only making an effort to explain the Scriptures. We're not saying... In other words, I, I write a bulletin article. I have a, we put out a church bulletin here. There's an article in there by me every week. I do not suggest that we could take that article and stick it in the back of the Bible, and it is therefore it, it, my article is authoritative. It's creed worthy. No, it's just a it's just a personal expression and an attempt to explain. Bible truth, but there's no authority in that which we write at all, and we never. But that's the difference between he, he tries to suggest that the our publishing of journals and tracts is the equivalent of, of of establishing a creed. It absolutely is not. I don't think maybe he doesn't understand the idea of a creed. When the denominations have their creed, their creeds are authoritative. Uh, they act on the basis of what their creed says. They use it as their standard. For practice, we don't do that. We, we use, use the Bible. The Bible. And here's what Jim said. I like this. He says the author makes it sound strange to think that one would rely only on the Bible. Views are different than creeds. A creed is an agreed upon statement which binds individuals in a collective. They all agree to abide by it, and it forms the basis for their collective understanding. We find this being done in the denominational world when they have their conferences or synods, etc., and vote on some new doctrine that is then bound upon all those in that belief system. To find that someone wrote an article or tract and thus call it a creed is disingenuous. The fact that something is in writing does not bind it upon those who are reading it. And so Jim says, why would you ridicule the idea that you could just go by the Bible, that you wouldn't let uh, a group of men make up rules for you, that you would just say, well, well, the Bible is our standard and that's what we're going to go by. He ridicules that, but when he does, you wonder, has he been arguing that we should be following teachings of men? Yeah, good point. Uh, Mohan says books and tracts are not the same as creeds in the sense that we don't sign off on man-made materials in regards to our beliefs, but believe all that the Bible says. And I think that's the key thing here. Certainly we write about Bible subjects, but we are not saying that our creeds establish the rules of our operation. James in Florida says the argument that a bride wears her husband's name is an extra-biblical argument. That is what we do uh, in our culture, but is not a biblical mandate. I think that's a that's a fair fair statement. Um, we are the Church of Christ. We are His bride. We're the bride of Christ. Um, yeah, that's so one a, of the. By the way, that's one of the New Testament designations of the church is the bride of Christ. Okay, all right. Uh, he's, so uh, uh, James goes on and says, "I don't agree with every article and track that brethren write. None of our articles are like the Watchtower publications. Unlike the Bible, they're open to criticism and rebuke." Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're saying. We're not we're not establishing a, a rule for for faith and and doctrine and they are they are referencing they're tied into the scriptures tied back to the scriptures they're not just well so and so with lots of letters after his name says you ought to do this no the articles that uh, that uh, are valid that we need to be looking at are the ones that say the scriptures teach this and here's where they say that and they're referenced and they're based and founded upon the scriptures and, and what real quickly Jacob he says we're famous for the creed like formula here believe repent confess and be baptized no, that's not a creed-like formula. Those, we believe, are the conditions that an alien sinner must meet in order to be saved from sin, 
to become a Christian and have the hope, the hope of a heaven in eternity. And each one of those steps in the, in, in, in that process, we believe is established in the scriptures. We reference scriptures so that you have to hear Romans 10, 17. You have to believe Hebrews 11, verse 6. You have to repent Luke 13, 3. You have to confess Romans 10, verse 10. You have to be baptized Acts 2, 38. Those are not our rules. Those are the biblical conditions of salvation. And so that's not a creed. We didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. And, and we reference scriptures to support that that is the process that one must follow in order to be blessed with salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Brian in California says the relationship of Christ to the body of believers is clearly made. The bride is adorned with the name of the groom. Not a big leap in his mind, he says, to say that the bride would wear the husband's name. Well, I, I, maybe what James is, is, is saying there is we could call the church the church of God right. instead of the church of Christ. Uh, um and I understand yeah, that, yeah. but but in in the in the, in the notion that the church is the bride of Christ, then a bride wears her husband's name. So it would say the Church of Christ. Yeah, yeah, you'd be the agreement. Yeah, it right. certainly wouldn't be the Church but of Martin a, Luther. It certainly wouldn't be the. It wouldn't be the Church of John the Baptist. It wouldn't be the Church of uh, John John Smith. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay. All right. Uh, or, yeah, okay. Uh, let's get a break and get this week's bullet point. When we come back, we're going to have to go fast. When we come back, he says, we use the expression that one must obey the gospel, and he thinks that's wrong. We're going to show that the scriptures use that expression. All right, don't go anywhere back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Bill Hall. The goal of the gospel is to prepare people for heaven. Its emphasis centers upon happiness in a life to come rather than upon this life. Quote, for what profit is it to a man, Jesus once asked, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The Lord would teach us to look through faith beyond the suffering and heartaches of this life to a life free of suffering and heartaches, to lay up treasures in heaven rather than upon earth. He wants us in our preaching to proclaim a message of salvation through his blood to bring to people's considerations those things that are eternal. But when we succeed in leading men and women to surrender their lives in favor of the life to come, we lead them into gaining not only heaven, but also the peace and contentment that make for real happiness upon this earth. Quote, he who finds his life shall lose it, Jesus said, and he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. Back on the program tonight, reminding you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com. And uh, check out the sermon podcast there as well. And check out the sermon feed on YouTube. Uh, Kyle, any new playlist out there? No, which we're uh, continuing, uh, of course, our... Acts, uh, studying Acts, but uh, there's some putting new videos, three new videos. How many every videos Sunday. are up there now? Do you have a count? I don't, but there's a lot. So okay. <laughs> there's quite a few. So yeah, it's, it's uh, taking your shoes off doesn't help you count that high. It's higher uh, than that. It's higher than okay. that. Okay. All right. No. All right. Well, um, we're talking about uh, a doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ, and it's really not that, we, we, we much found, of a summary. We, uh, found. we found this. Uh, a listener emailed us the link to faithfacts.org. Slash world religions and theology slash church of Christ. All those words have a dash between them, by the way, if you're trying to type it in. And this guy has tried to represent, he, he, he writes what he calls a doctrinal summary of the church of Christ and he's way off base, way off base. And we're just trying to deal with that. We're not getting very far very fast. I don't know if we get through this. But again, I want to stress, we're not adverse to dealing with people who challenge our position. We invite it. We think it's valuable and profitable to carefully consider what we believe and what others believe. The goal should be for all of us to just believe what the Bible says. Uh, but the, even this author's almost belittling that notion. James in Florida responds back. Uh, he says, I'm not denying that the church is the bride of Christ because the Bible says it. I'm just, I am simply saying that there is no place in the Bible that we read of Mrs. Simon Peter or any command, example, or necessary inference that this was 
what was done in Bible oh, times. Oh, okay. He's saying he's saying that, that you couldn't prove that. In other words, if my wife did not take my last name when we married, she continued to wear her last name. I think James is saying you couldn't prove that that's a sin. Or that the church that the church that you you have to tie the two together. But it, I mean, it does. I think it makes sense. as what Brian said, and that and James is agreeing that is the church is the bride of Christ. So you could say the church is Christ because. Uh, the church is is Christ's bride. It belongs so to it. it belongs the, to I, the, the expression "Church of Christ" is it's the church that belongs to Jesus. That's clearly true, and so yeah, and maybe maybe Brian, maybe James's point here is that that's not like taking on someone's last name when you say the church belongs to Christ, just because the church is married to Christ. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think James is just questioning sort of a traditional argument we've made, and it may be worth considering that, you know, to say we have to call ourselves by the name of Jesus because we are his bride is 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 trying to draw a corollary. It may not be there because in in it's saying in the, in the physical world, a bride wears her husband's name. And I think James is saying that's not necessary. So you couldn't prove that's absolutely necessarily so. And then, so, so you're building a conclusion based upon a premise that may not be legitimate. I think that's what James is arguing. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is Christ. So the church of Christ is a good descriptive. Yeah. Um, and I think we all agree on that. All right. Let's go quickly. Uh, this one I think we can discharge immediately. This is the sixth paragraph in this doctrinal summary of the church of Christ. He says, the gospel by us is often defined in terms of what a person must do to be saved. Quote, obey the gospel, unquote. This is distinctly different from other Christian groups who understand the gospel to be the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Well, he, he objects to the expression, obey the gospel. I don't know whether he understands. I think maybe later in the article he did point this out. But the, the phrase, obey the gospel, is found at least twice in the New Testament. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 8, 1 Peter 4 verse 17 talks about obeying the gospel. And so that's, is, we, we are not using, uh, an erroneous terminology when we also say that the gospel must be obeyed. Uh, so, uh, again, certainly the gospel contains the, the news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it, and that's that's certainly gospel truth, but it's not wrong to say we, that we should obey the gospel. Yeah, and uh, maybe we should comment on this idea too: the idea that there would be a response required from us, that the gospel would also include instructions for us. That's something that's sort of frowned on. Oh, this got the gospel is just the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the remission, forgiveness of sins. That's all it is. It doesn't have any instructions like like you need to be honest. You need to pay your taxes. Um, you need to be a good citizen. Uh, no, none of that. It's just the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. No, the gospel is also the good news that God has given us instructions on how to live our lives. Yeah. That's good news. And we shouldn't frown upon, oh, I see an instruction from God that I need to do this or I need to do that. Oh, that's bad news. No, that's good news. God yeah. told me what I need to do to yeah. help my life be the best that it can be right here and now. I think our, the author of this may be referencing Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose uh, again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he goes on to list those who saw the resurrection. So he says, I preached to you the gospel. And in this immediate context, he's talking about Jesus uh, dying and being resurrected. We understand that and include that in our preaching of the gospel. But you can't say that to use the expression obey the gospel is somehow wrong. The, the, the phrase is found in the scripture. All right. Um, Moan points out Second Thessalonians 1 verse 8, which we mentioned. Jim says, again, a misunderstanding. If you believe in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you believe in him as Lord and you will <laughs> obey him. Is the author suggesting the gospel simply means the story of Christ's life, death, and resurrection? The gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John reveal to us the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Christ to convict us 
of the need to obey him, John 20, 30, and 31. The epistles then explain the ways that we work together to accomplish that obedience. All right. Good, good. And uh, can, okay, go ahead. All right, let's grab the next one. Uh, This goes to the topic of baptism. Uh, Baptism is only by immersion, and it is an unstated inference that baptism can only be performed by another member of the Church of Christ. It is crucial that the one being baptized understand that his baptism is specifically for the remission of sin. Anyone not baptized by this formula is doomed to hell. And I don't know what he means. He says they even pronounce the word baptized differently by placing accent on the second syllable. What does that mean? I don't even know what that is. I'm going to just draw a line to so you. You're supposed to say, you don't say baptized? I, I don't say it that way. I don't oh, know if anybody does. Do you say it that way, Carl? I tried to. I, actually, I had to ask myself. Oh, you, you I like, do, I, do I do that? <laughs> baptized? I guess baptized. I just, baptized. That's just that's just silly. We need to go to Mr. Webster and see where the accent is placed. Maybe that's, it is on the second. So let's see that. that, might, that, that might, Webster will tell you, Kyle. That's just silliness on my point. But baptism is only by immersion. Absolutely, yes. We believe that. We teach that because that's what they did in the New Testament. There's absolutely no doubt about the fact that New Testament baptism was immersion in water. You know, what's interesting Religious historians all agree unanimously. You cannot find an exception that baptism in the first century by the first Christians was exclusively by immersion in water. It's actually what the word baptize means. It means to dip or plunge or submerge. The word baptize, is, that's actually a, an anglicized word. It comes from the Greek word baptizo. Uh, and, and that word literally means dip, plunge, submerge. The word means immerse, and the and the unanimously agreed practice of the first century Christians was baptism by immersion. Uh, it's called a burial in Romans chapter six verses three and four, Colossians chapter two verse twelve. Uh, we we know that when Christians when when converts were baptized, they were Baptized by immersion. We could reference the the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him and they came up out of the water. There's just no doubt. And really, if if this guy's done his homework, he understands that nobody argues that point, that the baptism that we read about in the New Testament was immersion, in total immersion in water. Now, has... has innovation been allowed to come in regarding what could be identified as... sure. But if we're going to go back to the Bible as our pattern, as our standard, we're going to practice baptism by immersion. That's that's what it was. Nobody And nobody can argue that. All right. Let's hear your thoughts tonight. Uh, I'm going to have to have your help on the chat room. Mine is, uh, mine is gone. Uh, I've got uh, comments here. Yeah, Dwight mentions uh, Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Okay. Your computer is fouling up there tonight. Not having a good night. Um, Jam in Kentucky says we could write volumes on this, but there's no example found of baptism being administered in any other way than by immersion. Peter preached the purpose of baptism, linking it with the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. If any baptism were valid, then it was... Not, if any baptism were valid, then it was not necessary for Paul to rebaptize the people in Ephesus in Acts twenty or Acts nineteen verses one through five. Good point. Uh, Paul said there, if any old baptism will do, they had already been baptized, but they didn't understand why they were being baptized, yeah. and Paul had to baptize them again. That goes to an argument I think from Romans chapter six. Roman, we mentioned Romans chapter six verse three and four. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. And in that same context, later in the chapter, Paul says, God, be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. They obeyed from the heart. That obedience from the heart included their baptism. You can't obey from the heart what you do not understand. You have to understand the purpose of baptism. That's why we say you have to understand that you're being baptized for the remission of sins. If you don't have to know what you're doing when you're baptized, I have often made the argument that let's just get a truck with a big tank of water on the back of it. We'll run up and down the streets of Columbia, Tennessee. We'll force people into the tank of water. We'll dip them underwater. We'll throw them out, and we'll say they were saved. 
Well, nobody would agree to that. If you ask why, you say, well, they weren't doing it with intention. Their heart wasn't in it. They didn't, they didn't understand the purpose of it. Agreed. You have to understand the purpose of your baptism is for the remission of sins. Now, something that, that we've got to address here that is, is he says, uh, there is an unstated inference that baptism can only be performed by another member of the church of Christ. I'd like, I'd like to see some documentation on that. I'd like to, I'd like to see some proof that anybody ever said that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've been a member of the church for over 50 years and I've never come across one single person who argued that there were stated qualifications for the person who does the baptizing. Well, he didn't say that. It was written. He said it was an unstated inference. That means it's well, not in writing. But he, it has to be inferred from something. Oh, right, right, yeah. What is that? Where, where, Where's he getting that? I don't know anybody that believes that. Actually, if you think about it, and this is, this demonstrates the wisdom of God, if, if your baptism, I baptized you, Jacob, years mm-hmm. ago, if your baptism depends on me being a faithful Christian, then your baptism not only depends upon me, but it depends upon the guy who baptized me and the guy who baptized him and the guy who baptized him. And you'd have to trace an unbroken chain all the way back to the apostles. Baptismal succession. We don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Nobody teaches that. Okay. That's ridiculous. All, all right. right. There's your stated inference. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not it. That's not. Well, that's, that's not, not an inference. inference. That's, that's not inference. That's a, that's direct, a statement. direct statement. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see here. We've got James in, in the chat room. <coughs> uh, he's got some comments about faith and grace. We're going to get to some statements about grace here in just a minute. Uh, but he says, uh, the one who is doing the baptizing is working, but the one being baptized is simply submitting to what is being done to him. Noah, Noah labored for 120 years beforehand. He did not prepare an ark because his household was already saved. Uh, an atheist could baptize someone legitimately if the one being baptized is doing it for the right reason. I believe that's exactly right. I don't believe there's any stated qualification in the Bible for the one doing the baptizing. If, if it was so, then... Your salvation would be contingent upon the 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 legitimacy of the one who is baptizing you. It wouldn't be just up to you. It'd be it, it, your salvation would be dependent upon the status of the one who baptized you, and that's just not in the Bible. All right, let's grab our last break. We're gonna have, we may have to pull this uh, con- continue this on for next week, Jacob. We're not going to get through. All right, we're gonna take a break. We're back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm sure you've heard about us and have been warned. If not, you will be. A lot of people don't like what we stand for at the College View Church of Christ, but can I ask you to think about something? At the College View Church of Christ, we simply ask our people to go back to the Bible. With a plea like that, can we really be as bad as some people say? Why not check us out? You may not agree with us, and you may decide not to be part of us, but at least then you will know the truth about us. Why not check us out this Sunday morning at 9.30 at the College View Church of Christ? We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent survey found that a near majority of U.S. adults accept a salvation-can-be-earned perspective. They believe that if a person is generally good or does enough good things during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. Only one-third of American adults, 35%, continue to embrace the traditional biblical view that salvation comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That information is via the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. The Word of God says in Isaiah 64, verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back going to the top of the hour. We're going to go as far as we can. Well, we're not going to get through, but we'll go as far as we can tonight looking at this article with uh, one who has a lot of grievances uh, with what we stand for. Uh, we're, we're, we're open to those uh complaints and those uh, suggestions that we're not uh, following the scriptures like we should and we want to look at those and entertain them honestly to compare with what they what they say with what the scriptures teach to make sure that we are submitting uh, to God and his will for us um, 
this uh, our writer seems to ridicule a lot of that. Uh, but we're committed to, to following the scriptures and doing what God has said. All right, so we're looking at the, if you number the paragraphs in this summary, doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ, we're looking at paragraph 8 here. He says they, and by that he means us, members of the Church of Christ, believe that the New Testament is primarily a new legal code, the law of Christ, that replaces one of the Old Testament. One must follow rigidly the New Testament by their hermeneutical formula of Bible interpretation, direct command, approved example, necessary inference. Although exactly what Examples are approved, and what inferences are necessary divide the various factions within the group. No faction, however, ever provides a list of exactly what things one must do to be saved. Well, first of all, I want to address the the expression law of Christ. He acts as though that's a bad thing to call call it the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 2, excuse me, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Pretty clear. Uh, you know, so, again, uh, he, he's got a quibble, apparently, with biblical expressions. When we talk about the law of Christ, that's biblical. We're using a biblical uh, terminology. Uh, so, he talks about our hermeneutical formula. Direct command, approved examples, necessary inference. Well, actually, that's not our hermeneutical formula. That's just the way we understand things. That's just the way language is used. Uh, and we, and we understand that that's the way the New Testament authors spoke and wrote as well. How, how do you establish what, what you want a person to do? Well, you, you give, uh, you give, uh, uh, I, I, I guess we got time to do this. Do you have time? Yeah. You have time. Okay. So here, here's time. a mom. And it's she's busy on Saturday morning cleaning the house, uh, and the kids are just lazily watching cartoons uh, laying on the living room floor. She wants them to get busy helping cleaning the house. So what does she do? Well, uh, she may say some things like, "This house sure is dirty. It'd be it, 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 it'd be nice to have a clean house." What she hopes is that they will infer from that that they should get busy cleaning the house. That doesn't work. So she decides what she'll do is she'll get real busy. She'll be very obvious and busy cleaning the house in their presence. She'll set an example for them. She hopes that they will follow her example, mm-hmm. uh, but she's, she's giving them guidance by virtue of an example. That doesn't work either. Finally, she just comes right out and says, anybody who doesn't get up right now and clean their room is not going to the pizza party this afternoon. Oh, well, she gets their attention finally by making a direct statement. But notice how she communicated with it. She started out by by implying something that they should infer. She set an example. She made a direct statement. That's the way we communicate among humans. That's how we communicate. Yep. And so this is not our, we didn't invent this hermeneutical formula. He calls it our hermeneutical formula. No, we just understand that's the way communication works. And actually, what we, what I, again, we don't have time to do this. We're just going to be out of time here very quickly, but we could show that the New Testament, in the New Testament, those exact same methodologies were used. A really good place to study that is in Acts chapter 15. Uh, there were, they, they came together in Jerusalem because false teachers had been going out from Jerusalem demanding that Gentile converts be circumcised. Paul and Barnabas had been working among the Gentiles in the church at Antioch of Syria. And these false teachers demanding that the Gentiles be circumcised came up there and were causing a lot of trouble. Paul and Barnabas knew that they were wrong, but they went to Jerusalem basically to to in, to put a stop to this at its source, and when they got there, there was a, the, uh, several people spoke. Peter spoke, Paul spoke, James spoke, and they actually used this same methodology. What what is what what can we infer? What are the examples that have been set? What does the scripture actually say? 
command example necessary inference was their methodology in coming to a settlement of this issue. They didn't vote on it. They didn't decide the issue, but they understood the issue by using command example and inference. I like what James in Florida says on this idea of inference. He says, how do we know that Miriam was older than Moses in Exodus chapter two? The inference is inescapable, he says. And I like that. It's a good example of an inference or an unavoidable conclusion. Miriam obviously was older than Moses as she watches and sees what to see what happens with her baby brother. Yeah, the scriptures don't call him that, but that's what he was. You know, there's a lot of challenges to the idea to the idea of following apostolic example. But but the scriptures definitely say we should follow apostolic example. Notice Philippians four, verse nine. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Paul says, do what I taught you, but do also what you saw me doing. In other words, follow my example. So apostolic example is definitely taught in the scripture. And then on this idea of necessary inference, the the classic example that we offer is concerning a, a place to meet. Hebrews 10, verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. We're supposed to assemble. Well, the instruction to to assemble necessarily implies that there must be a designated assembly place. We draw the inference. The scripture implies we infer from that that we should provide a place for the assembling to take to, to happen. Again, it's how we communicate. It's how language is used. And we're doing the same thing that they did in the first century when we talk about command example, necessary inference. All right. Want to do one more? Uh, the next one's pretty important. Maybe we should just sort of make a break right there. If you're looking at this, and we'll republish this uh, in our update next week, we want to start at question nine, uh, uh, talking about the fact that we supposedly mistakenly believe in patternism. They believe in patternism, he says. That is, they attempt to copy what they think the earliest Christians did in their life and worship. They find patternism to be a necessary inference that must be rigidly followed in order to be pleasing to God and thus saved. Again, I, I, and we'll start out talking about that, but it's kind of curious to me that that's a bad thing. The way that's written is the suggestion that it's a bad thing that we should attempt to copy what the earliest Christians did in life and worship. And we're being criticized for that. Oh. So we'll try to, we'll start there next week and we'll tackle that. And so again, we'll, we'll try to finish this. I, I knew we'd have trouble getting through all this. We'll try to finish this next week. Kyle, what are your thoughts tonight? It's a good step. I think we need to be prepared for criticism and welcome challenges because that's will build us stronger as uh god's people so and uh, uh, maybe the challenge is is uh, legitimate and we need to course, consider what we're, we believe we're willing to make changes if we're shown that what we're doing is not lining yeah, up with the i scripture just don't teach. think uh, we should try to legitimize you know unlawful practices like things that aren't in the new testament by trying to warp and bend what maybe he has some bad examples of uh, the church around the country maybe i know they're like there's, there probably are some bad examples, but the thing is, we that's not all. That's not what the Bible teaches. So, yeah, yeah. don't use don't use the the failings of men mm-hmm. to attack the principles set forth in the Scripture. Have have we have we fully and perfectly embodied all that the New Testament teaches about being a Christian and how we should worship and how we should organize ourselves in local. There may be errors. There are obviously errors in our personal lives that we're trying to constantly improve and correct. But don't use, please don't use our errors to justify throwing out the authority of the scriptures. All right. Good discussion tonight. Good uh, comments in the chat room. James in Florida wins the uh, prize for the most comments tonight and good comments. James, uh, that's a new name in the chat room. James, we hope you make plans to be back here again uh, in the future and, and participate in the study. We hope that uh, that you all, but Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jake. Thank you for being here. And we hope you all um, benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. And we hope that you all will make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.